Thanks in part to a fortunate schedule, the Seahawks were able to surprise everybody and make the postseason with a 9-8 and record in 2022. Next year might not be so easy to accomplish, though, against what looks to be a tougher schedule. Rob Rang and I are going to be diving into Seattle's 2023 opponents and much more on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our first Mock Draft Monday of the 2023 offseason, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And we hope each and every one of you had an excellent weekend and are looking forward to some more Seahawks coverage as we now continue to dive into the offseason Jam-packed episode coming your way. As always, we're going to tackle your mailbag questions in our Monday mailbag and our first mock draft Monday of the 2023 offseason. Rob and I will be taking a look at three different mock drafts and breaking down some players that could be in a Seahawks uniform in the first round come April. So let's get to it. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Exceeding all expectations, except maybe their own. The Seahawks managed to make the playoffs this year with a 9-8 and record. Got the final wild card. You can also thank the Detroit Lions for that opportunity. Didn't advance past the wild card round, but still a highly successful season. And there's some naysayers out there that'll say part of it was they had a fourth place schedule. And obviously, Rob, that is a key aspect to consider with Seattle's success. They did play a fourth place schedule. And yet a few of those other teams that were in fourth place managed to make the playoffs, including the New York Giants. And so it's difficult year to year to know how difficult a schedule is going to be and we can probably say the same thing about Seattle's 2023 opponents although I'm just going to make a hunch here with games against three of the four teams in the AFC and NFC championship game I think it's safe to say that this schedule is shaping up to be tougher in 2023 for the Seattle Seahawks yeah you're absolutely right Corbin I mean it does look very daunting on paper of course we know just how much the NFL can change in one season I mean we are seeing evidence of it with the Los Angeles Rams of course winning the championship this past season and yet being two of Seattle's nine victories this year but when you look at Seattle's schedule, the home games, of course, being the three divisional opponents, but then also the Washington Commanders, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, Carolina Panthers, and the Philadelphia Eagles uh, on the away slate. Again, of course, the three divisional opponents, as well as the New York Giants, Cincinnati Bengals, Baltimore Ravens, Detroit Lions, Dallas Cowboys, and the Tennessee Titans. To think about that gauntlet, uh, of opponents is a little bit intimidating, Corbin. I'll, I'll be honest with you. But again, uh, you know, we, we see with the Rams how much that the mighty can fall in a single season. While I think that Seattle's schedule uh, next year looks very in- intimidating, 
I think that, you know, clearly Seattle has to make some improvements. I think that you're going to see some of those other rosters, some aging rosters out there that Seattle is going to be facing. And I think that you're going to see how they are going to lose some players and perhaps fall down. I, I'll be honest with you. To me, my first thought on this is, again, I, I do think that it looks a little bit intimidating as far as Seattle's record next year, the way that Seattle's roster is currently set up. But I'll tell you this, it also looks exciting. It looks like one heck of an opportunity. And, and that, to me, is why I'm really excited about Seattle's 2023 schedule. Yeah, I think we got to start. Let's start with the negatives with this schedule. The first thing that popped off to me, and I'm going to put the graphic up again for our YouTube viewers. I put a yellow highlight around of the current playoff teams in the NFL that are on Seattle's schedule. And most of those teams, if you are noticing with the yellow highlight, are on the away side of things. Seattle's going to have to play the Giants, who look like an up-and-coming team. The Bengals, who have a very good chance to get to a Super Bowl for a second straight season, they're going nowhere except contending with Joe Burrow at quarterback. The Ravens probably are still going to have Lamar Jackson, and they are in the playoffs seemingly every year. The Dallas Cowboys, they're going to have some roster obstacles to deal with, but that is still a very talented team. And even the teams that didn't make the playoffs, Detroit was barely out of the postseason. They're the ones that helped Seattle get in, and they had a 9-8 and record, and they were red hot in the second half of the season. I look at that away docket. That is the thing that looks somewhat daunting, but again – there's always going to be playoff teams that take a step back, whether that's from injuries, if that's an aging roster, a team like the Giants may be impacted from playing a much tougher schedule next season because they finished much higher in their division. They're not the only team, Seattle, that's going to have to deal with playing a better schedule based on that. And again, win-loss percentage, at the end of the day, I think it is kind of a stupid statistic because year-to-year -year, rosters change so much in today's NFL that – you know, quarterbacks, obviously the star quarterbacks, those teams are going to be in the thick of things as long as they're healthy. So your Joe Burrows of the world, your Patrick Mahomes of the world, Josh Allen, those teams are going to be in it just because of who they have at quarterback. But a lot of these teams year to year, there are going to be fluctuations because of roster changes that are inevitable. And the Seahawks, with all the youth they have, the draft picks they've got, if they can hit on several of those picks, take advantage of free agency with the limited cap space they have, this is a team that looks to be ascending. So while it's a daunting looking schedule, and I certainly think the away side looks bad, you could look at the home side and say, hey, we got home games against the Commanders, the Panthers. If they get a quarterback, they beat us already this year, but should have won that game. Still a team that we can beat. The home slate looks more promising than away, but we'll see what these teams look like when we get done with free agency in the draft, because we may have a much different impression one way or the other once we see what these other teams do. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and I, again, if you could throw that, um, you know, the schedule back up there for a moment, Corbin. I, I think that the the home schedule does in you know, does create some excitement. Uh, again, I mean, I think that you look at some of the teams that are some of the most passionately followed in all of the NFL that are going to be traveling here to Seattle. Um, you know, whatever you want to call that Washington organization. I mean, again, they have a rabid fan base. I mean, who, who is more rabid than and <laughs> more passionate, more, um, you know, long suffering than Cleveland Browns fans? Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, the terrible towels. Seahawks fans know all too well about what happens with, with that 
franchise and when their fans come to town. Um, and, you know, and again, the, the Eagles as well. I mean, you just have some really good football teams with some really passionate fan bases. I think that they're all beatable opponents is the other thing that's kind of fun about it as well. So to me, Corbin, it's a, I think it feels like a fair schedule. I think it's one that's going to require Seattle to have to improve, especially along the trenches. That to me is one of the things that was just so so cl- crystal clear over this weekend's uh, playoff action is the teams that have the defensive lines as well as the quarterbacks are the ones that are advancing here. And that's something that Seattle needs to improve upon, as we're going to discuss in, in a later show. And if Seattle is going to get back to the playoffs next season, given the schedule that they have, they're going to have to improve along the line of scrimmage. And again, to me, that's exciting because Seattle has a challenge that they're going to have to face if they want to have any type of success next year. Yeah, at the end of the day, we can look at these matchups that they've got coming up next year, and there's going to be some – we know Joe Burrow is going to be in a Bengals uniform. We know that some of the other teams that are on the away docket, the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, I know he struggled at the end of the season, but is still viewed as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He's not going anywhere. I mean, there are going to be some opponents on here that are going to be very good. The Rams could bounce back easily. We'll see what happens with their offseason, though. It's going to be an interesting one there in L.A. So there's a lot of variables. There's going to be a lot of roster movement, players coming in, players coming out, free agency in the draft. And so once we get to May and we have an idea what teams are looking like roster-wise, we'll have a better idea where the Seahawks fit schedule-wise against these teams and whether or not this is going to be a super – difficult schedule or one that maybe isn't as bad as we initially thought looking at it on paper right now. And so that's the exciting thing about the NFL offseason. And we've still got three games left to play, the two championship games and, of course, the Super Bowl. And so after that, we'll really be able to dive in and, and teams will be able to start making moves. And then you'll start taking shape for 2023. For now, the Seahawks, they think they're an ascending team and they're going to be an emerging contender. They've got a huge offseason coming up, though. And so keeping that in mind, later in the show, we're going to have our first mock draft Monday of the offseason. But before we get to that, we've got our weekly mailbag questions from you, our valued listeners. We're going to tackle as many of those as we can coming up next year in our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's NFL Championship Weekend, and I've got Joe Burrow staying cool with three touchdown passes against the Chiefs. That might not seem like a bold leap. With Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, or even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. With safe and fast withdrawals, it's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up today and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 using the promo code Locked On. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in London, you're listening in China, or you're listening nearby in Sumner. We greatly appreciate your support and thanks for listening. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. Get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, plus in-depth analysis on the biggest games from NFL key predictions 
every Friday. And on Monday, local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked on NFL is available on YouTube as well as Apple Podcasts and other major platforms. All right, Rob, it's time to get to our Monday mailbag, our first one truly of the offseason. And of course, got a lot of free agency questions, got a lot of draft questions. First one here coming from Katie Ellis tweets, what free agent that's not currently on the roster would you most like to see the Seahawks sign this offseason? So, Rob, I'm going to put you on the hot seat right now. One free agent that if you had to pick one to join the Seahawks, who would it be? Wow. You know, I hadn't even really looked at the free agent list out there, uh, to be completely honest with you. I've just been kind of focusing in on the rookie prospects. Corbin, I'm going to have to default to you. I apologize, sir. Why don't you give me a name of somebody that you like and give me a second to kind of do a little bit of research on that one. I apologize. I was hoping you were going to say Tom Brady just to stir (laughs) people up. But no, no, anyway, (laughs) you know, for me personally, again, I'm going to throw some names out there, but I don't know that the Seahawks have the money to go out and get any of these players right now. But Deron Payne for the Washington Commanders, he's only going to be 26. He's coming off his first double-digit sack season. He can play 3-4. He can play 4-3. He can do it all. And he's really come into his own. The Commanders have a bunch of other linemen that are going to need to get paid the next few years. So I don't know if they're going to be able to afford to keep him. He might hit the free agent market. And man, Seattle could use a playmaker, a game disruptor. And I think Deron Payne can be that player because I just don't know if they're going to be able to get Jalen Carter at number five overall. So you might have to use free agency to get that game wrecking defensive tackle. And Deron Payne, only 26 years old, he has been a pain for people to block. <laughs> no, Deron Payne absolutely has. Former first round pick out of Alabama. I like where your head's at as far as just getting bigger along the line of scrimmage. You know, when I, I begged out of that question, Corbin, I, I went out there to the internet and the very first thing I looked up was centers uh, at the free agent position. That's what I would love to see Seattle bring in. I, I wish that there was a center out there that I was 100% in love with his game in this veteran class. There are several from the rookie class that I'm really intrigued by. I just would like to see Seattle get a good young center, but not necessarily a rookie. And that, that's one of the things I'm, I'm concerned with. So that's why I looked at that position. I think if we were going to go to defensive tackles, as you talked about, maybe even linebackers, I believe that there were some really good inside linebackers that were have been talked about would be available this year. And so let me take a peek, quick gander at that list here. And, you know, I mean, even a veteran like a Levante David or somebody like that, I think would be intriguing considering what Seattle has had. Same kind of thing with a a Kyle Van Noy. Again, veteran players that you might be able to get for relatively cheap money that can kind of be that coach on the field that Seattle has looked for in the past. Uh, If you are going to be a little bit more willing, well, I'll give you a player that I think is kind of right up Seattle's alley, uh, and that being more a a guy like a Jared Davis, former first-round pick, um, that, again, is the kind of guy that that Seattle has looked for in the past. For me, the guy that I would look for, and and if I was going to be, if we had had all the money in the world, kind of going back to the point of the question, and then, then Tremaine Edwin's in Buffalo. To me, I just like the athleticism. I like the size, the power. Um, he is somebody that I'd be willing to kind of break the bank for uh, at the inside linebacker position. 
Yeah, I had Edmonds on my short list. I also put Garrett Bradbury from the Vikings if he somehow yep. hits free agency. Now, I don't think that he is a perfect center by any means, but he had a very good year for the Minnesota Vikings. That His skill set, I think, would fit the scheme the Seahawks are running. So there's just a few names. We're going to have tons of time to talk more free agents. As Rob said, both of us have not necessarily had a ton of time to really deep dive into that. I did look into some guys, though, and Deron Payne immediately jumped out to me. Next question coming from Anthony Paz. Do you guys think there are any pending free agents that Seattle should keep an eye on from the remaining teams in the playoffs? I'm just going to tell you this, Rob. Normally when we have a question like this, I think we've covered this like the last three seasons on the show. We have looked at the final four teams and looking at free agents. I'm going to be brutally honest. There's maybe two guys on those teams that are going to be available in free agency that I think would make any sense for the Seahawks. And they're both defensive tackles. Fletcher Cox, I know he is now in his 30s. He's not quite the player he used to be, but Fletcher Cox is still a disruptive player that I think maybe on a one- or two-year deal you could get some pretty good production out of. And I don't know that Philadelphia is going to be able to afford to bring back all of those big-name defensive tackles that they've got set to hit the free agent market. And Colin Saunders from the Chiefs is another one that I like coming out of the draft. Kind of had a slow start to his career, but he had a really solid year for Kansas City this year. Still very young, and he's a player that's got some scheme versatility. So that would be about the line for me. There's really not a lot of other guys on any of those four teams that are available that would make sense for the Seahawks. No, I, I have to agree with you. I think that anytime you have an opportunity to steal from one of your, you know, primary rivals in the 49ers, um, then I think that that's something that you're going to have to to look at. Uh, one of the pass rushers that I've long been a fan of, um, going back to his times at Eastern Washington University, certainly with the Los Angeles Rams, and now carrying that over here, his success uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, Samson Ibukam, um, to me, would be a pass rusher that you might be able to convince uh, from the 49ers. He, he is a free agent, and again, I think that makes sense that anything that you can possibly do to steal from their roster, I think makes, uh, you know, just would be wise. Uh, Charles Amenehu, the, the big defensive lineman, another one, uh, unfortunately, was very successful against Seattle. Um, but at the same time, you can understand why. I mean, he's got very long arms, very big hands, big physical guy, kind of an ascending prospect. San Francisco has already dedicated, of course, so much money to its defensive line um, and uh, with Bosa, with Armstead, et cetera, et cetera, that they're going to lose some of the players. And so I would agree with you to a point, Corbin, and there's not a lot of flashy guys out there with these four remaining teams. Um, but at the same time, I, I do see some young talent um, that I think that Seattle might be looking to try to steal uh, from some of these opponents. Again, especially a divisional opponent, uh, a divisional rival like the 49ers. And we get a few questions here that were specifically for you, Rob, or for me. This one is for you coming from Josh in Tacoma. What does Rob think of Keon White out of Georgia Tech for the Seahawks, and where might they be able to draft him? Uh, you know, top of second round. Um, I don't think that he's a first round guy, at least not yet. Keon White is, has a chance to, to go to the senior bowl and make himself some money. He is, um, you know, he, he's a versatile defensive lineman, played inside and out for Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, 6'5", 285 or so roughly, um, and, you know, he's physical, he is instinctive, uses his hands well. I, I'm excited to kind of see what he's able to do in Mobile. He's a good player. He would absolutely fit in with what Seattle is looking to do, um, and I think that they have, uh, you know, that, that 
pick in the top of the second round. Of course, they have two second round picks. Uh, I think that that gives them an awful lot of flexibility. That it kind of goes back to one of the themes that we're going to be talking about here in a couple of minutes with our mock draft conversation. Is Corbin, there are so many good edge rushers, defensive linemen, uh, not necessarily defensive tackles, but just big defensive linemen um, like White, that I think that uh, it gives Seattle an awful lot of flexibility. But he is one I think that uh, the Seattle are very much going to be looking at. And this next question that's coming from Jeff was to me, do you think we'll be able to trade Quandre Diggs? No, I, I don't. I don't think they will want to. And I don't think if they did want to, they would be able to because he's got an $18 million cap hit for 2023. And so as good of a player as he is, I don't see any teams rushing to make a trade for him because of that cap hit. And quite frankly, the Seahawks are a worse team without him. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if you were able to swing a trade, good luck getting anything more than a day three selection because of that cap hit. I just can't see it happening. And I don't see why the Seahawks would want to do that right now. Now, next offseason, when he's got one year left in his contract and he doesn't have quite as big of a cap hit, yeah, he's a year older, but then it might make some sense for another team if they're looking for a stopgap free safety. But I expect that he is going to be in Seattle for the next couple of years, barring injuries or just a huge drop-off in production next season, especially with the way that he finished strong this year. Don't see anything happening on that front. We have another question here for Rob, and this is from Robin Solari. Why are the Seahawks sticking with this new defensive scheme when it seems so ineffective what are some examples where this scheme actually works? So I think there's a good chance just to kind of dive in real quick on some history here because clearly the Seahawks had a lot of reasons to bring that 3-4 scheme in last year. Yeah, and I think it's it, it's kind of a little bit more complicated and just call it 3-4 or 4-3 because we know how much Seattle has kind of adjusted here. Um, I, I think that the 3-4 defense as a whole has a great tradition of success uh, in the NFL, um, you know, we're, we're going to see one of the most, uh, you know, per perfect examples of a franchise that's just been kind of characterized by the three, four defense and the Pittsburgh Steelers coming to Seattle, of course, next season. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like Seattle needs time to get the right personnel to fit this scheme. I also think that it's possible that Pete Carroll, given a year to kind of adjust to the roster and you know there, i think it's possible that he might say you know what the heck with it i'm going to go back to what i believe in at my core and that, that may be the four three mostly four three principles that he's using the fact i don't know that that's going to be to me one of the most fascinating things about this process is again how seattle looks at what their current roster is the assets that they have in draft and free agency yep. and how best they can attack this upcoming season rather than what they've done in the past. That, to me, doesn't matter much. And the last question here, which was for me coming from P-Town, one of the four tweets, there were years of reports of how the Rams valued smaller agile linemen versus the NFL average. Many pointed to this for helping Andrew Whitworth play longer, etc. That success was under Andy Dickerson. Has anything from the Rams' O-line scheme been used in Seattle? Well, absolutely. They, they've been running more zone-oriented concepts, although I felt like it, second half of the season this year, tail end of the year, we did see a bit more of a lean on gap concepts because it was working better for the Seahawks. And you look at some of the personnel moves that they made. Charles Cross is not a massive left tackle. I mean, he's a midsize, more of an athlete at the left tackle position. That fits with what the Rams have done 
with their offensive line. Austin Blythe at center, we've talked about this endlessly. For better or worse, he's under 300 pounds. He is a smaller, more cerebral offensive lineman that is better at winning his own trying to win blocker that's just not his game so you're seeing some trickle down effect and I think it's been a little bit of a hodgepodge because you've had Gabe Jackson and Damian Lewis Lewis is a much better athlete than people realize so he can play zone or gap scheme just fine Gabe Jackson at this stage of his career I think he's more of a gap scheme guy doesn't have the movement skills that he did at one point and at the right tackle position we know what kind of an athlete that Abraham Lucas is even though he's a little bit bigger than Charles Cross He's not a massive human being necessarily for the tackle position at 315, 320 pounds. So they are leaning more on athletic linemen, even if your tackle's still a really good size. By NFL standards, they're average size tackles. And clearly at center, they had one of the smaller starting centers in the NFL in Austin Blythe. So I think you are seeing some of that in how the Seahawks are handling their offensive line. And I would anticipate they're going to continue doing that as they try to upgrade their interior offensive line this offseason coming up next it's our first mock draft monday of the 2023 offseason we're going to dive into three different mock drafts one coming from nfl.com one from cbs and one from pro football focus and diving into some prospects who could be on seattle's big board as we get closer to the start of the 2023 nfl draft we'll get to those mock drafts coming up next here on our monday edition of locked on seahawks this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, and that's FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Looking at championship weekend after beating the Bills, I'm actually liking the Bengals' chances at plus 1.5 to pull off the upset at Arrowhead Stadium. All of this is on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use, so you can make bets like the one that I'm planning to with that Bills-Bengals game. Football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Rob, I know this is what you have been chomping at the bit about for the last couple of weeks. When the Seahawks season ends, obviously there's the disappointment of the season ending. But then at the same time, it's time to flip the script to mock draft season, NFL draft season in general. And we have our first crop of mock drafts to dive into. So let's get to it. Our first one coming from Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com. And we're going to see a lot of mock drafts that are like this over the next couple of months, Rob, just because we know how much the Seahawks need help on defense, especially along their front seven. So with the fifth pick, Tyree Wilson, the edge out of Texas Tech, and then at pick 20, doubling down with another edge, Will McDonald from Iowa State. Contrasting styles, but both these players were extremely productive the last couple of years. McDonald had a little bit of a step back this year sack-wise, but 
had double digit sacks in the two seasons prior to that. And Tyree Wilson had big sack and tackle for loss numbers for Texas Tech. Not exactly a football juggernaut the last two seasons in the Big 12. Two different players, but very productive ones. Very productive ones. And as you said before, Corbin, even though they kind of play the similar positions, they play very different roles. So I think that there is some realism to this particular mock draft. And let me just say this. So I I feel like I have a little bit of, you know, kind of egg on my face here for not remembering you know, or not recognizing some of the the the, 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 the excuse me the unrestricted free agents in NFL um I that's because I very much have been digging deep into this year's college prospects um I'm going to be writing scouting reports for foxsports.com of course we've talked before about the the BC Lions work I mean don't worry locked on Seahawk listeners when it comes to the NFL draft we are very much going to have you covered on this show and so kind of getting back to this mock draft by Daniel Jeremiah one of the absolute best at it um I, I think Tyree Wilson to me is the kind of the the, the favorite right now um for to be the Seattle pick at number five assuming that the top four players that everybody has talked about the two quarterbacks um and Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and then the two defensive linemen Will Anderson the edge rusher Jalen Carter from Georgia assuming they are off the board in the four picks however uh in whatever order then I do think that Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech is the most likely pick for the Seahawks if they were going to stay at number five overall. Tyree Wilson, he's 6'7". He's 280 pounds, Corbin. He played defensive line. He played his outside rush linebacker on the two-point stance, on the three-point stance. He just has this incredible wingspan. You look at him and you imagine this, what this guy could be in a couple of years from now. I mean, he could just absolutely be a, a monster. Um, and, and so to me, I, I think that he is absolutely a candidate for the Seahawks. He would make them immediately bigger, more powerful at the point of attack. He is still a little bit raw. He initially signed with Texas A&M out of, call, uh, out of high school. And so at, to your point before about Texas Tech, very rarely producing these types of quality prospects. Again, he was originally with the Aggies, transferred over with actually, I believe, with Jordan Brooks. So that might give Seattle that much more of insight into who this kid is as a player, as a person. Everything I've ever heard has been very good. So, again, I think that Tyree Wilson is a real candidate for Seattle at that number five spot. And then jumping down, uh, you know, I think it was Iowa State uh, kid. Um, they had the second round, second of the first round picks. Yeah, Will McDonald from Iowa State. He is just pure speed upfield. Um, so kind of the opposite. I mean, this is a guy who's more in that 245, 250-pound range, just blinding speed upfield. To me, you have a similar player in what you believe Daryl Taylor to be. Of course, Seahawks already dropped a boy in Mafia a year ago. That's why I have a hard time with this idea that they would go back-to-back -back pass rushers. I think that there would be uh, run-stuffing defensive tackle or an offensive lineman if you were going to take this strategy of building along the line of scrimmages. Jeremiah has it. Yeah, I can see the Seahawks doubling up on defense. I just I don't know that I'm seeing two edge rushers, especially when it seems like there's some redundancy here because we saw what Daryl Taylor did the second half of the season, and he finished with nine and a half sacks. He was one of the best situational pass rushers in the league the last month of the season. He finally started to play that we thought he was capable of, but I see a lot of that in this kid as well. I just I don't see a defender that's going to have the lower body to hold up well against the run and set the edge. And they already have a couple players like that on their roster. What they need, though, is that 275, 280-pound 
player off the edge that plays like he weighs 240, and that's Tyree Wilson. And you talked about him being raw. I think the one thing that I've noticed watching his tape, because he's one of the first prospects I've really dove in, and I've been watching games on, and the thing that jumps out to you is you see the athleticism, you see the power that he plays with, the motor. His hand technique is the one area that I think is going to have to be coached up in particular, working off his counters, being being able to expedite that process a little bit. Is that something that can be corrected? Absolutely, especially with a guy like this that I think is going to test extremely well in the pre-draft process. So I think he absolutely has top five pick talent, and if the Seahawks can get a chance to take him, he's a player that can fit in any scheme. I think you could play him on the outside. He could drop down and play some traditional end for you if you wanted to have four-man front. So that kind of versatility, I think, would be big. Both these players have first-round talent. I just think that Tyree Wilson is the kind of player the Seahawks badly need. I'm not sure that the same could be said for the other kid. Now, looking at our next one here, coming from Josh Edwards of CBS Sports, we have a quarterback, Will Levis, going at pick number five out of Kentucky, the heir apparent to Geno Smith, or maybe in this case, the replacement for Geno Smith. Who knows what Josh Edwards was thinking with this mock draft, but at pick 20, going back to defense, Brian Breesey from Clemson, big defensive tackle, who I've seen a lot of top 10 buzz for him. But in this mock, he goes at pick number 20. I, I know that there's going to be some interesting discussions about quarterbacks the next couple of months for us on this show. And anybody that follows me on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL if you're not already. But Will Levis is one of the biggest enigmas for me going into this draft class at any position because you do see where the Josh Allen comparisons are coming from. Six foot three, 230 pounds. He can throw the ball over the moon. He's got a rocket arm. He's got great athleticism. He is a load to bring down. He's tough. He played through a bunch of injuries this past season. So there's a lot of things to like. But there's also some things that really scare me more than what Josh Allen did coming out of Wyoming, even though Allen had accuracy concerns. I don't see a quarterback that can consistently throw with anticipation. I see a lot of, I mean, I don't have any hair to pull out, but if I did, there are plays that he makes that you're just, it's mind numbing, wondering where he's going with the football. And that scares me. I think the traits we've seen quarterbacks get picked in the top five, top 10, just for their traits. And there is some decent production there for him too, but he regressed in a lot of ways. Some of it was injury. Some of it was the lack of offensive line in front of him. Some of it was the play calling, but some of it's got to go into player too. He made some harebrained decisions this year for Kentucky. So at number five, that feels really rich to me. Maybe we'll get a month down the road and he'll impress with the combine. It's like, you know what? That's a kid we can coach up, but there's a lot of red flags there for me. No, there, there are for me as well. Um, I, I agree with what you said, though. I think that there is a lot of very real physical talent with Levis that NFL teams are going to take into account. They're going to take into account the fact that um, he has a NFL offensive coordinator um, this past season and has had NFL caliber coaches throughout his entire career. Um, and, and so he, the adjustment that he is going to have to make to the NFL may not be quite as steep as, say, a guy like a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud that barely had anybody breathe on them for much of their career because their offensive line that was blocking for them was just so much better than all of their opponents. And the receivers that they were throwing to, again, was just so much better. And, and that's one of the big arguments, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I see Will Levis as a guy who has a great deal of talent, 
but I absolutely see a huge gulf between him and the other two quarterbacks, again, C.J. Stroud and my personal favorite quarterback in this draft class, Bryce Young, all six foot, 190 pounds of him soaking wet. Um, so I, to me, Will Levis, I agree. And number five overall just feels too rich. It feels like if even if those other two quarterbacks had come off the board, then there's still going to be a very good defensive player here. I think that that's more the route that Seattle should go. Again, unless one of those two superstar quarterback prospects are available to you. Um, Breezy at 20, to me, feels about where he should go. He has top 10 talent. There is no doubt uh, that he has just absolutely Pro Bowl caliber talent. But the durability concerns are significant enough that he could drop down the board a little bit. I think that Seattle might be a team that would consider him, even with the durability concerns, with that second of their first round picks. Again, you get a guy at this talent to fall into your lap at 20. We know that Pete Carroll has just been clamoring for getting a penetrating defensive tackle his entire time. It seems like it's been in Seattle and Brizzy can do that. Yeah. It's interesting when we're talking about the scheme dynamics, as you were talking about earlier in the mailbag, because I don't see Breezy, at least at this point, maybe he can develop into this player because he is an outstanding athlete at his size. But you mentioned the penetrating ability. That is clearly his number one calling card. This is a guy that can wreak havoc, and he's got the ability to get in the backfield, defending the run, getting after the quarterback, and that has a lot of value in today's NFL. DTs right now typically don't get drafted super high unless they can really rush the quarterback, and this kid has the physical tools and the athleticism to be able to do that. One of the former top picks in the entire – top recruits in the entire country. I mean, this kid – has been, he's been ballyhooed for a long time, but the durability has been an issue. And I don't see a kid that necessarily right now is a two gapper. So if they're wanting to play more of that two gap role with their three techs, and we didn't see that in the second half of the season, they went to more of an aggressive mode. If they're doing that, then breezy, that's a breeze of a decision. Bring him in. Really nice athlete to put in the middle of your line. If you're going to be doing more two gapping, though, I have my reservations whether he is going to be able to fit in a scheme where he's going to be required to do that. Not that he couldn't be coached up to do that. I'm just not seeing that with the way, what I've seen on film from him to this point. And so I do think you have some scheme and personnel questions you would have to address before you picked him, knowing what he's good at and what areas he's got to improve upon coming into the NFL. And our last one here, coming from Mike Renner at Pro Football Focus, Sticking with Clemson, I mean, they always have a bunch of first-round picks. Miles Murphy off the edge at pick number five. And then a corner. We know the Seahawks typically, in fact, they never pick corners this early under Pete Carroll. But for this mock draft, Keely Ringo, the six-foot-two, 205-pound corner from the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, at number 20. And I will admit, you put him across from Tariq Woolen. That truly is putting transformers in your secondary because this guy, Ringo, he is as physical as they come, a press cover corner. He's got great straight line speed, too. You'd hearing go in terms of what the Ringo does really well, though. He comes up and he hammers you. He is a hard hitter. I have some questions about his technique, but who better to coach that up than Pete Carroll and the rest of the coaches that he has in Seattle? So I actually at 20, I would see that making sense. Murphy's one of those players that I'm kind of torn on as far as whether I would take him in the top five. Yeah, to me, this is the boomer bust draft uh, of this bunch. Um, you know, I, I have my 
skepticism about whether Seattle would take a cornerback, as you kind of mentioned before. But Ringo's upside is so immense um, that he makes some sense. And the same thing you could make the argument with Miles Murphy. I mean, my goodness, you just wait till combine time when everybody starts talking about Miles Murphy because the guy is going to absolutely put on a show. Um, he, he's 6'5", 275 pounds. He looks like a Greek god. I mean, he's just, he's exactly what you want a guy to look like. The production is through the roof. He was a five-star guy when he signed with Clemson, and it was an immediate stud for them, and it's been a stud his entire time that he's been at Clemson. The problem is, and you kind of uh, alluded to this a moment ago, Corbin, is that Clemson has so many really good football players, and it just it seems like when you have college teams that have three or four or five really superstar players, when they go to the NFL, only one, maybe two of them wind up being as good in the NFL. And so you just really have to be right. And, and that's the thing is there are some questions with Miles Murphy on tape. You, you see how he creates some big plays on his own, but my goodness, he kind of get, just gets blocked into some of those big plays as well. You'd like to see a guy who is as athletic as he is produce even more big plays. And with Ringo, th there are some peaks and valleys to him. And I, I love the young man and, and his story. This is a kid who actually kind of grew up uh, you know, a fair amount of his time in Tacoma. Um, and actually, uh, it was playing in Tacoma Public Schools uh, athletic, uh, I, I believe, for one of the middle schools there, Gray Middle School, if I, I believe. Um, anyways, uh, wound up moving to Arizona, of course, became a, an absolute phenom in terms of a football prospect and a, and a runner, a sprinter as well. Um, talk about a guy who's going to work out through the roof. That's the, the boomer bust element to him. I love the big plays. I mean, he, of course, won a national championship for George a couple of years ago with the pick six. He had a forced fumble um, in this last year's big game. I mean, he, he this is a guy who is just a ball hockey magnet, but he is pretty up and down. I would love to see Pete Carroll, of all people, uh, coach him up because I really think that was, that's what Ringo needs is a technician to kind of coach him up a little bit, but my goodness, just unbelievable combination of size and athletic ability. I think his upside is absolutely through the roof with both these players, but there is some bust factor with them as well. And again, I do think that you're going to see Seattle ultimately wind up going in slightly different positional groups. Real quick, just one thought on Murphy, because it's fitting we're talking about him during the same segment as Tyree Wilson, because these two guys look like clones in terms of body type, both around 6'6", 275, 280, and yet there's some stark differences in their game. I feel like Murphy is a more refined player with his hand technique and his counter moves, and yet at the same time, there's a lot of plays left in the field from Miles Murphy. He is not the finisher that Tyree Wilson is, and so... You got to figure out which one do we think we can coach up better. The guy that has been a finisher but needs to get better with his counter moves, or vice versa. This guy's got great counter moves. He's got all the athleticism, but there's there's plays left in the field. And so, as an evaluator, you got to figure out which one of those is better for us to bring in. And I'm not knocking either kid because I think both have the chance to be really good NFL players. But that that's what makes this time of year so much fun when you're trying to figure out which guys are going to make it in the league and trying to make those difficult decisions when you are on the clock. 
come April. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Lockdown Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be dishing out our end-of-season awards on offense. So MVP, non-QB, Offensive Player of the Year, a bunch of other awards. We'll be dishing those out and much more. Hope you'll be joining us. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.